This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kalarsep, and I am back. I know we took a bit of a break, but we are ready to get rolling again. The MLS season is in full swing. Week one is coming and gone. We're already about to kick off week two. Uh, and I almost uh, almost had to take this whole week off, but I've gotten off the mat, got off the DL to get you this episode before this weekend's week two MLS action. Uh, there's so much to talk about U.S. national team stuff. MLS stuff, Americans abroad, uh, big news all over. Um, so we definitely have to touch on all of it. Uh, for those of you who didn't listen to the episodes, the, the most recent episodes, which included the MLS uh, conference previews that I did, uh, I had a bit of a medical issue. <laughs> I had a uh, I had a cracked molar uh, that got uh, progressively worse and worse, and pretty much wiped me out for, for the better part of the last week. Uh, and if I sound better now, it's because I actually had surgery uh, earlier today uh, in the morning. I, I had the I had the tooth removed, and I know for those, for those of you who've never had any any uh, dental issues or ever had uh, in anything like like fractured molars or or, or or exposed nerves and have no idea what it's about or, or or how painful it can be, well, let me tell you, folks. It is crazy how excruciatingly painful th- that can be, and and I, I've spent enough time uh, being made fun of by my son uh, for the fact that it's been so crippling and debilitating. But thankfully, it's behind me. I got the tooth taken out. I'm good to go now. Uh, other than the big hole in my in in my mouth now that uh, that needs to heal, but I had to get back on the mic and uh, give you guys a preview of MLS Week Two, and also talk about try to talk about. Week one a little bit, uh, and also of course we have U.S. national team to discuss as well. So uh, we'll kick things off. First things first, we're going to talk MLS, and the big news in MLS this past week was Joseph Martinez suffering a torn ACL in the season opening win against Nashville SC. Just a devastating blow to a team that really had the makings of a, of a championship caliber team, a team that could really make a run not only at an MLS Cup but potentially at a Concacaf Champions League. And Joseph Martinez, clearly far and away the top striker in MLS. Uh, obviously, you can talk about Chicharito; he just arrived. But in terms of established goal scorers, there was no one close uh, to Joseph Martinez. And with him and with him leading the attack, Atlanta was looking very much like the top dog in the MLS Eastern Conference. And obviously, now with him out, that changes things dramatically because as good as Atlanta is, then they're still they're still a top team. They're still very talented. Losing a Martinez, you're not going to replace him. It's just you can't do it. So that that's where you wonder, number one, what can they do with the team that they have now? And number two, who can they go get uh, to help bolster their squad? Because, I mean, Adam John obviously was signed to be a backup. He's going to get the first crack at, at kind of leading the line as the team striker. But you have to think that Atlanta will try to go and add uh, an upgrade at striker uh, to finish up the year since you won't have Joseph Martinez. So we'll see what they can do. Obviously, they they began the year uh, on a positive note with the 2-1 victory over Nashville SC, the first match for Nashville in a packed Nissan Stadium. It was an impressive night, uh, to say the least, all the way around. And Nashville, even though they lost, I thought they, they performed pretty well. Uh, I thought they were going to get blown out of the water uh, in their first match just because Atlanta is so strong. But... Credit to Nashville, they made it a game, and the, and the fans in the Nashville area 
and of course, some Atlanta fans made the trip and uh, made it a, a heck of an atmosphere. Obviously, a few days later, uh, the devastating news in Nashville about the uh, about the tornadoes that 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 struck the city, and 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 our, you know, our th- thoughts and prayers are with uh, the people in Nashville as they recover from that. Uh, but as far as Atlanta goes, Atlanta United they won the game, but <laughs> I think they would trade that those three points. To, to have Joseph Martinez and and you know he suffered the injury during that match and uh, you hate to, you hate to see that you hate to see a player of that that caliber uh, go down on, on on what looked like a you know it looked like a pretty harmless play and that's the crazy thing about it is is how how quickly so it, it can go from you know a potential MVP caliber type season that he was gearing up for to now he's done for the year. Now, instead of going through all of the uh, week one results, it's already almost been a week, uh, and week two is, is is coming on Saturday. Uh, I'll just go through Saturday's slate of games and uh, share some thoughts on some of the team's performances from week one. Uh, but before we get into the week two and previewing the upcoming matches, I did want to share uh, an interview that I had with Emerson Heinemann, the Atlanta United midfielder, who obviously had a great first game. Uh, scoring the winning goal uh, against Nashville. Now, this interview actually took place before the season opener, so I wasn't able to obviously ask him about Joseph Martinez and that injury uh, or his his opening goal. Uh, but I, I, I guess we can chalk it up as another example of the SBI, the SBI show positive jinx, where if I interview you, you will score a goal. I think we have a pretty good track record of that, and Emerson Hyman did score a goal, so there you go. Uh, so this is a, this is the interview from then. Uh, we, we touched on a variety of topics, everything from the U.S. national team, uh, his his connection with Pitti Martinez and Ezekiel Barco, which is a pretty good one. I even asked him about what it was like to be a 12-year-old prodigy that had uh, message boards lighting up, talking about him being the future of U.S. soccer. Some of you who are maybe younger or newer soccer fans who are oblivious to this, yes, Emerson Hyman actually was uh, an early example of one of these kind of uh, young hype train prodigy type kids who everyone was talking about before they'd even seen him play. Obviously here we are 11 years later and now he's, he's having himself a pretty good pro career. Uh, but I do think it's pretty funny when, when you think back to how the hysteria uh, of, of this kid from Texas and, and who could, who could be, who could be a future superstar. So I thought I, I had to ask him about that, that, uh, and, and a bunch of other things, including the transition that he had to make, uh, arriving, in Atlanta in the middle of last season, uh, a transition that he actually pulled off pretty well, uh, making the jump from England coming to Atlanta and fitting right in. Obviously coming in um, in the middle of last year was kind of difficult, especially after I kind of had a break away for uh, a bit of time away from football and um, having to come back and get fit real quick into, and get in the stride real quick was kind of tough, but um, this preseason has been really good and got a great group of guys and um, yeah I've really enjoyed it so far How'd that conversation go uh, between you and Atlanta before you came like as far as them kind of selling you on on coming over here and, and, and how tough a decision was that at the time when to, to kind of leave Europe and come come here Yeah I mean obviously uh, you know my time at Bournemouth was quite frustrating you know in terms of you know the playing time and um, obviously the loans I went on were uh, you know, played quite a bit, but um, just couldn't find that, uh, you know, breakthrough with them. So, um, you know, when Atlanta called, they had a good opportunity for me, obviously, and they, um, you know, they obviously 
are a winning side. You know, they want to win things. They're ambitious. Uh, they want to bring in good players. So, um, you know, for me, it was kind of uh, kind of a decision I I didn't have to think about too long. You know, and uh, it was a team where I could come in and, and help straight away. You know, and that that's something. Um, you know, I haven't had too many spells in my career where I put you know a ton of games together in a row, and I thought I thought Atlanta was an opportunity that I could do that at, and uh, and so far it's been great to me. What's Frank uh, been like to play for? He, uh, he he had high praise for you, and uh, obviously you coming in, like you said, in the middle of the season is never easy, but you seem to kind of hit your stride pretty quickly there and, and play a, a good role down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, he, he was uh, he, he was brilliant uh, and has been brilliant, obviously, in the preseason also, but he was really good with me last year. Obviously, it was a different scenario, you know, obviously coming in and um, – not having that preseason I had to adjust real quickly and you know he showed faith in me really quick and started me in games uh, right away really um, as soon as I was available and uh, um, I owe that a lot to him for having the confidence in me you know he he didn't get to see me too much before before he uh, threw me out there so um, you know obviously working under him and the experience he has just uh, I'll take any any advice from him that he gives to me and um, and just yeah been playing for him has been great though so far when it came down to make that decision to sign the deal to stay to to, to make it a permanent move, uh, was that a pretty easy one for you? Or, or at the end, I mean, obviously things went well, but at, when it came down to it to make the permanent move, how how had that process go? Yeah, it was it was always part of the uh, part of the arrangement. I mean, it was always I was always there if I wanted it, you know. So um, you know, I had that in mind and. Obviously, I think uh, this season I can kick on from what I did last season and improve and uh, and get better. And um, you know, I think you know parts of my game were, were very good last year, and other parts I could definitely uh, you know solidify and work on. And I think that's uh, that's been the big difference for me in preseason. Is uh, you know I've kind of found a, a different position this year a little bit and a little bit more natural for me. And I think that uh, it's just come come through that hard work and that. And that realization that this is the place I'm going to be at for for at least a couple of years. So, um, you know, it's been a little bit wild at times going on loan and and trying to settle as quickly as you can. But you know, when you know you're going to be here for for some time, it definitely helps. You weren't in the U.S. You were in England for for all those years. I don't know how much MLS you were able to watch, but now that you you had you know had a chance to play a half season, what what was your, kind of your impression of the league? Was it was it better than you thought it'd be? Was it? What, what, did anything surprise you about it? What did you think just going through it the first time? Uh, it was mainly the style, you know. It's uh, the English style. The you know, I played in Scotland too. The style is very uh, blue collar. You know, the obviously some technical players too, but it's it's a much more physically demanding uh, league. Um, here, it's a very South American style. You know, you get a lot of very technical players and. You know, you, you you get that style of play. It's a little bit different. A lot of combination, a lot of a lot of flair, that kind of thing. So, it was just the adaptation to that style, really. That was the main difference. Um, I think I've gotten stride with that now. And obviously, working with the teammates I have on my team are is is uh, great to have Joseph and Pity and Barco around. You know, to be able to link with them is obviously nice. And uh, yeah, I think I'd say it was just a style of play, really. Now, obviously, this off season, there's there's been a lot of uh, turnover in the in the squad, and some big names have moved on. And 
whenever you have players move on that, that, that have been so established, the question becomes who takes their place, who replaces them, and who fills the void. And obviously with Darlington leaving, uh, people are going to be looking at you as, as, you know, can you help, you know, can you fill that void? Obviously, it's not just on you, but what do you think about that kind of responsibility and, and knowing that people are going to be kind of looking to you to see how you, if you can help fill that void? Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, I've seen that stuff. Obviously, you know, Darlington's a great player, and he, uh, you know, he led the midfield for us last year in, in, in terms of the possession and win the ball back quickly and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think I think for me it's a, it's a little bit of a different role. You know, I obviously... I don't play it the same way, you know. I like to I like to dictate things. I like to combine in the attack a little bit more. But you know, I try to look at my own game and, and, and the way I can help the team the best. And obviously, listening to the coaches and and figuring out uh, what the best plan of attack is. But um, but so far, it's been great, and uh, I think I've uh, fit in quite well. One of the guys that that was on the team last year, uh, Pitti Martinez. He uh, you weren't around for the beginning of last year, but he had a bit of a rough rough beginning uh, with Atlanta. Um, but obviously, second half things got better. And it, talking to Frank this morning, it it sounds like he's really coming to this preseason in a good in a good place and, and really kind of taking on more of a leadership role and really like he clearly feels more comfortable here now. Do you do you see that from him? Have you seen him this preseason maybe looking a little more like kind of like he's taking hold of this team? A hundred percent. You know, I think he's uh, he's definitely much more vocal. You know, around the place, and I think I think that just comes with comfortability. I could I could say the same for myself. You know, and um, you know, obviously, I like you said, I wasn't I wasn't there for the first spell, but um, definitely toward the end of the year, he started to kick on for sure for us. And uh, you can see how dangerous he can be for sure when when he's when he's in that kind of form. And uh, definitely seen that form from him in preseason. He's had uh, a couple goals, especially to add to his name and. Uh, and that's good to see from him in preseason, and uh, his overall uh, attitude toward the game in, in preseason has been uh, first class so far. So uh, I'm sure he'll have a great season. I feel like you you you'd had a pretty good connection with Pitti and and with Barco um, last year. I mean, you're not from South America. You played in England all these years, but it felt like there's that connection. Is that is that? Did you feel that too? And, and what do you kind of attribute that to? Yeah, I mean, I've I've always been a player that likes likes to. Uh, I like I like to combine, you know. I like to uh, I like to build play up in whatever way the game shows you, you know. I um, and I think I think they're the kind of the, have that same mentality toward the game, you know. I think they like to like to play the game the right way. They like to uh, work the ball into the box, you know, be clever with it, and uh, obviously they have a great. Um, great sense of when to attack and when to, when to slow the pace down so I think we all it just comes from having the same kind of mindset toward the game and uh and the same understanding uh, and that that just becomes uh very apparent no matter where you're from really now, now as far as the obviously you're going to hear talk about the national team and 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 goals for that now last time I think last time I talked to you in person was when you were in that uh with them in uh, in Annapolis at that camp, uh-huh. and yeah, have you have you have you talked to Greg? Have you had any conversations? And how, how much is that a goal for you in twenty twenty, especially as big a year as it is for the national team? Yeah, obviously, you know, huge goal. Um, you know, it's obviously somewhere I want to get back to, and you know, obviously this year could be a huge you know stepping stone for me personally, and if, if things go right, and obviously they have a lot of new guys coming in, a lot of young guys, and uh, it's really exciting to see. You know, it shows that uh, you know. Things you know, I'm, I'm only 23. Sometimes I forget that, you know. So, <laughs> right, right. you know, that, that's the exciting part about it. Is uh, I know it's not like time slipping away or anything. You know, I, I've uh, definitely got a long way ahead of me, and uh, hopefully, I can 
make a mark on this season and and, and have a stepping stone and in a place in the national team to show for it. I know. I know. We're talking about a long time ago, but when you th- but do you ever think back to how crazy it was that you were a 12, 13 year old who people actually talked about back then? I mean, it's, you, you kind of had a little bit of a. You were like an urban legend even at, at twelve and thirteen. Uh, do you do you remember that? Do you remember even know, realizing that, that that people kind of had had put this label on you, like you were this like kind of next coming of young sensation? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it was it was hard to avoid, really, honestly. Um, especially, you know, I was almost nice kind of going to England because it kind of separated myself <laughs> from that, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, obviously, I was uh, my granddad was Vesti Dallas coach too at the time, so I didn't that didn't right. help, help much with the spotlight. But, but yeah, I mean, it was always uh, it was always kind of tough in a way to kind of separate yourself from that and keep your feet on the ground. But I mean, that's that's kind of what you have family for, and that's. Uh, that's that's they helped me through all that stage but but yeah it seems like a while back now right is that is that is that a combo you maybe you have with some young guys who uh, that you come across now who deal with that kind of stuff i mean i know in atlanta george bellows a kid who you know mm-hmm. uh, people are can't can't stop talking about and even a year ago so is that is that something you tell maybe the young kids since you've been there you've been in that situation yeah i mean i people like people like george i mean george is a humble kid you know i don't uh see any of that with him you know it's uh it's one of those things if you see a kid that you need to maybe sort out (laughs) or that you can help out then maybe you uh give some advice but uh luckily here we got you know george is a great guy works works really hard and uh if he continues to do what he's doing he'll he'll uh he'll have a great future but um but yeah we're in the in the locker room we have great guys so there's not too much advice to give out <laughs> right right there's a few new there's several new faces uh, in the group already and i know i know some of them haven't even been around much because they've been you know having to sort through their their moves but yeah uh, is there any are any of the new guys have, have any of the new guys kind of caught your eye or maybe impressed you like more than more than the others or anyone that you're like oh this you know maybe surprised you with how good they are yeah, I mean, obviously the ones that have been with us most of preseason, you know, Brooks and uh, and Fernando, obviously, uh, I think two huge additions. Um, you know, obviously losing Leo and, and Julian, I think they're uh, obviously a couple of big shoes to fill. But um, I think Brooks suits the are the role really well of kind of getting forward and and uh, and being dangerous in the attack while also being able to defend. You know, so I think he's a big addition, and uh, you know, Fernando looks. Uh, very classy, you know. Um, you know, can pass the ball really well. Very comfortable with the ball at the back, and uh, and it's not afraid to put a tackle in. So um, they have looked very good in preseason, and they've settled really well into the, in the locker room as well. Like I said earlier, I was talking to Frank DeBoer this morning, and. Uh uh, we were talking about you, and he 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 mentioned now not to say that he compared you to him, but he he mentioned you in the same breath as Christian Erickson in the context of you never stop moving, and he and and Erickson's not a speedster, but he's he catches people because he's he's always moving. So when you when yeah. you hear that, when you hear your name mentioned with Christian Erickson, what do you think of that? And uh, you know, as far as playing for Frank, I mean, how, how, you feel like you're you're learning some new things from him. Well, I'd first like to say thank you to Frank. <laughs> it's a hell of a compliment. But, um, but no, I mean, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, something in my game where, you know, I'm, all, I'm just always looking for the ball, looking for space. Uh, it's never uh, it's never easy to mark someone if they're moving constantly. So um, you know, I think that's something I've always kind of approached the game uh, in that manner. And, um, and obviously, you know, Frank coached me quite a bit, especially last year on, 
uh, on where to be, maybe not go to this certain space at certain times and things like that. So uh, he's definitely helped with that aspect of my game. It, that last one for me. Do you, do you feel like going into this year, like you, you're ready to kind of maybe take it up another level just from the sense of obviously – you had gone so long not getting steady games, and obviously yeah. it, it, it takes some kind of getting back into a rhythm. And do you feel like yeah. this preseason you, you feel like in a better place maybe than you've been in a while? Yeah, 100%. You know, I think it's uh, it's one thing to go on loan and play, you know, 15 games and and uh, and then and then go back to, back to another club and not play any, you know. And instead, being at a club, you know, training every day, playing games, you know, consistently through preseason, I think it's a – it's a totally different feel for me uh, mentally as well as physically. You know, I mean, the physical toll is also huge if you're not used to playing games. So, I think um, having all that together is a is a huge uh, improvement from anything I've felt before. And uh, honestly, it's got me really excited for the season. Now it's time to talk about MLS Week Two, and we're gonna just do the speed round. We have 13 matches to go through. I didn't want to just drop any of them out of the out of the discussion, so we'll go one by one real quickly. Starting off with New England against Chicago Fire. The Fire are headed to Gillette Stadium, and they take on a New England team that's playing without Carlos Gill. They're coming off of their opening loss to Montreal. I thought they played well enough to win in Montreal. They were a bit unlucky not to at least get a point. Uh, but I, again, coming into the season, I, I I see the Revs as a team that's gonna gonna show a step up in improvement and be definitely a playoff team. And I think this is the kind of match that they should win. That being said, the Fire did show some good qualities in their opening loss to Seattle. Obviously, they gave up the lead and ended up losing thanks to Jordan Morris coming off the bench and playing Superman. But I think we saw some positive signs from Rafael Wicke's team. Now, clearly, they've made a lot of additions to their roster, and there's still some more talent that's on the way. But there's something to look forward to if you're a Chicago Fire fan based on what you saw in that opening week. That being said, I don't see them turning it around. In week two, I think New England should prevent at home. Up next, the New York Red Bulls visit Real Salt Lake, and the Red Bulls have a track record of not playing well on the road against Real Salt Lake. Uh, now, obviously, they don't have to go there every year, but when they go there, they tend to struggle. You wonder, with the high press playing at altitude, it's not ideal for the Red Bulls. Now, having said that, the Red Bulls look really good in their opening win against Cincinnati, but that is Cincinnati arguably the worst team in the league. You have to think RSL will present a tougher challenge, even though RSL, for my money, didn't show much in their opening 0-0 draw against Orlando City. Obviously, it wasn't a full-strength squad for RSL. Freddy Juarez made some some interesting lineup decisions there. Uh, with his group, you wonder how different it's going to be in this home opener for RSL. Uh, I think the Red Bulls should be able to get a point out of it. Uh, as much as they're a team who I think is going to disappoint this year, I do think I think they, they, they showed well in that Cincinnati game. Florian Vallo, uh, Kyle Duncan standing out for me. So I think they're going to give ourselves a, a tough time, and I think it'll end up being a draw at Rio Tinto. Next, we head to Frisco, Texas, where FC Dallas takes on the Montreal Impact in a battle of 1-0 teams. And believe it or not, the Impact are undefeated under Thierry Henry in all competitions, but... This is going to be the toughest match that they've had to date going down to Texas. to take on an FC Dallas team that I thought showed some really good qualities in their opening win against the Philadelphia Union. Luchi Gonzalez 
with the great year that he had last year leading that young team to the playoffs, you'd like to think that Dallas is going to take that next step forward. And based on that opening win, uh, I'd say they're headed in a good direction. And we have to talk about Tanner Tessman, the 18-year-old midfielder in his pro debut, steps into the starting lineup and is absolutely outstanding. And for those of you who haven't missed who've missed the story, Tessman had an opportunity to go to Clemson University to play soccer and be a place kicker on their nationally ranked powerhouse college football team but he passed that up for the chance to turn pro and FC Dallas starts him in the first match of the season what does he do he steps in and he plays extremely well and again it's only one match and there obviously is going to be a lot of competition for playing time in that FC Dallas midfield but Tanner Tessman is a name you need to remember he's 18 years old he's going to be part of the U.S. under 20 setup and he's got a very bright future just with between not not only his ability uh, technical ability but also just his physical attributes that he has this ability to cover ground he is he's a presence and to be only 18 uh, I think he showed quite a bit in his rookie debut and hopefully he gets an opportunity for another another start against a Montreal team that yes they knocked off New England you give him credit for that they advanced in the Champions League give him credit for that but I still think they're a work in progress and I I, I think they're going to have their ups and downs now they did go sign uh, Victor Wanayama uh, from Tottenham which is a huge signing for them Again, the Thierry Henry, the Thierry Henry effect uh, in play there. And to, to add a player like Waniyama is huge for Montreal. So I'll tell you what, you have to start thinking about Montreal shaping up to potentially be a playoff team once they put it all together. I don't see them putting it together in Dallas, though. I think FC Dallas starts off the season with another win. The speed round continues in D.C., at Audi Field, where DC United plays host to Inter Miami. Actually, actually, that's the match that I will be at on Saturday. I'm taking the trip down uh, to Audi Field to, to check out Inter Miami. Uh, and I tell you what, as much as Inter Miami lost their opener to LAFC, I think they showed some really good qualities. And obviously, coming into the season, I had them as a playoff team. I had them ranked pretty highly, higher than most, I think. But uh, because I think they're going to put it together, I think they're going to add even more, even more uh, power to that to that roster. But with what they've already put together, I think they're going to be a competitive team right from the start. And even though they lost to LAFC, I thought they showed some good some good characteristics and some good quality in that 1-0 loss. LAFC is, the, for me, the best team in the league. And so for them to, to actually stand uh, toe-to-toe with them, I mean, again, they needed Luis Robles to make a bunch of saves, but I still like what I saw from Miami. And I can't say the same for DC United and and what we saw from them in the opening uh, week loss to the Colorado Rapids. Uh, there's a lot of question marks about this, this DC team. And obviously in my preview, in my season preview, I talked about that and about seeing this potentially being a, a year that that they take a step back and I think it definitely signs point to that being in thing and if you looked at that first game of the season uh, there were a lot of questions there the defense is supposed to be their strength but you know, it fell apart a bit there late in the game. Their attack, there's a lot of questions there as well. And I know people are looking to Edison Flores and saying, will the Peruvian be the difference maker they need? And the thing with Flores is he's a talented player. No question about it. I'm, I'm going to vouch for him. I'm going to say he's a really good player. He's Peruvian, obviously. But he is. I don't think he is a guy who will lead an attack. He's more of a complementary player. He's a secondary player. You think? I think you need to bring in another star player uh, and and, ha- and to, to be the focal point. And then Flores can work as that secondary option. But if you expect him to carry you, he, I don't think he's going to do that. So uh, obviously you have a Julian Gressel who's also been added to the team, and he has to step up as well. But for right now, I'm not 
so convinced about DC United, and that's why I actually like Inter Miami to win on the road. Now they're a big under, they're they're a considerable underdog. I think they're like a plus one ninety five for those of you who like to gamble a little. It is legal in some states. Um, I'd say Inter Miami is not a bad bet uh, coming off of that showing against LAFC. Up next is one of the matches of the weekend in Toronto FC playing host to New York City FC. Now, obviously, this is a rematch of last year's playoff battle uh, that TFC won at City Field and, and knocked off NYCFC, knocked them out of the playoffs on their way to the MLS Cup final. Uh, and this is a bit of a tricky one, right? TFC's coming off of a disappointing draw against San Jose. Obviously, a road draw, you generally want to be okay with it, but, you know, they were winning that game. They give up the lead equalizer to Osvaldo Alanis. Uh, but, look, TFC is one of the better teams in the league, and I think uh, they're going to be they're back at home. And normally, if it was just a straight-up matchup, this it'd be a it'd be a toss up. It'd be a really tough one. But consider the fact that NYCFC has Concacaf Champions League during the week. You have to think Ronnie Dyla is going to want to juggle a bit with his lineup because are you just going you're not just going to play your full strength eleven and then play that same eleven uh, four days later uh, in 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 the Champions League against a very very tough Tigres team. So I think that one, that bears watching. And because of that, because I do think Ronnie Dyla is going to have to rest some people, I think you have to give TFC the edge at home. They showed some really good things uh, in in the match against San Jose. Obviously, there's some questions about the defense um, that you have to think that TFC, with the attack that they're going to have when everyone's healthy, when Pablo Piatti is, is back in the lineup, when Michael Bradley eventually returns, that they're, you know, they are going to be one of the top teams in the league. But for right now, I still think with Alejandro Pozuelo being the player that he is and Jose Altador being healthy right now, knock on wood, their attack is going to be a handful for an NYCFC team that's going to be without Maxime Chanot, who has suspended for the red card that he drew against the Columbus crew. And look, the Columbus crew, for me, are going to be one of the surprises of the season. So I'm not going to take too much away from NYCFC for that loss uh, to have to play down a man for as long as they did. I mean, is asking a lot, against a t- especially against a tough crew team. So let's not go uh, writing off NYCFC or, or pressing panic buttons. They're still an outstanding team. Um, just obviously a really, really tough schedule. Schedule makers did them no favors uh, starting the season off playing Columbus and TFC right in the heart of Champions League. So, I mean, if you're, you know, it, it's it's a, probably not the, uh, the scenario that you would have liked, especially with a new manager, with a new head coach. But it is what it is. You have to deal with it. And we'll see how Ronnie Dyla deals with his lineup decisions uh, on uh, on Saturday because that Tigres matchup. That's it. That's what that you you got to make that count. So I have a feeling he's going to rest some of his players, and because of that, I like TFC to pull out the victory. Up next, we have Atlanta United taking on FC Cincinnati at home, and obviously they're the heavy, heavy favorites in this one. But you have to ask yourself how much of a lineup change or how many lineup changes should we expect from Frank DeBoer considering you have the trip to Mexico on Wednesday to take on Club America in the CONCACAF Champions League and that's a big question because if you're Frank DeBoer and you know you're playing arguably the worst team in MLS do you go out with a second choice lineup at home against Cincinnati rest all your starters to have to give everything you can to that first leg against Club America, that's a big question. So uh, I, I, I'm i not sure if we're going to see a whole wholesale changes. I think we are going to see a, a fair amount of changes. And the reason being is Atlanta actually has a very deep squad. I like their bench 
quite a bit. Now, obviously, the Joseph Martinez injury is devastating, devastating blow for them. But the that's the one area of the roster that they don't have depth in. They have depth in the midfield. They have depth along the back line in terms of different options. Of course, Miles Robinson's still working his way back from injuries, so that's cutting into their depth as well. But I like... I like the bench options enough where I think I think Frank DeBoer can get away with resting four or five starters against Cincinnati and still winning that game to get themselves ready for Club America on Wednesday. So I like Atlanta a lot. I tell you what, Adam John, who is the new lead striker now, you have to give him the start in this one and get him ready for the Club America. He's going to have a busy week, folks. And 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 for those who don't know much about Adam John or don't remember him when he was in MLS. Uh, he obviously showed in USL that he can still find the net. He actually, uh, for those who, who don't remember, and maybe Atlanta fans have blocked it out of their minds, Adam John did did score the, the, the penalty that eliminated Atlanta United from the playoffs their first season in existence. But now he's on the team, and Atlanta fans are going to be hoping that he can continue to score goals like he did last year uh, in USL. And I think he will. I think he, I think he has the... Uh, ability to take advantage of what is a very, very good set of attacking players around him with Pitti Martinez, Ezekiel Barco, Emerson Hyman. Uh, and that's why I think they're going to beat Cincinnati, even with Frank DeBoer likely resting some starters. Moving on, we have the San Jose Earthquakes playing host to Minnesota United in a matchup of Western Conference teams that began the season uh, with uh, some promising results. Now, even though San Jose dropped points at home last week, the way that they got the point they got with Oswaldo Alanis and that dramatic stoppage time winner, in some ways it almost felt like a win, uh, especially against a tough TFC team. Now, they take, in, they t- take on a Minnesota United team that beat Portland in Portland pretty comfortably, right? So you would think Minnesota now going to San Jose... Uh, It'd be a pretty even matchup, but actually Minnesota's a heavy, heavy underdog. And I tell you what, I kind of, as much as I, I pick San Jose to win this game. When you look at the when you look at the odds, and Minnesota's a plus two ninety. For those of you who like to bet, uh, that that's a pretty juicy, uh, pretty juicy line. And Minnesota, uh, as much as I, I, I'm not picking them to win, they absolutely can go to San Jose and beat San Jose. But I think the earthquakes are due to rebound. Uh, now, when I say rebound, I mean they rebounded late in the match against Toronto. But I, I see them putting it together, getting the win at home. Because if you're if you're Matias Ameda, you not you do not want to start the year with two home games and not have a win in either. Um, I think they'll come out inspired and they'll take on and they'll face a Minnesota United team that has to feel pretty good about the fact that they started off the season with two road games. They already have the three points in the bag. Um, doesn't mean they're going to just lay down for San Jose, but from a matchup standpoint, I think San Jose matches up pretty well. Uh, I think with their their quality on the wings, uh, has the ability to test that Minnesota uh, defense. That is pretty. It's a tough defense, no question. And Power obviously in the middle of that defense is going to make things tough. But I think the matchup on the wings, particularly Christian Espinoza against Chase Gasper, I think that's a matchup that San Jose ha- they're going to like what they can do in that particular matchup. And I think for that reason, I'm going to go with the earthquake in this one although with the price that they're getting minnesota united as a as a bet to win uh it's a pretty decent bet for the money for those of you who are into betting so there you go but i'm gonna go with cincinnati i'm gonna go with san jose to win but it would not shock me at all if minnesota pulled off another road upset and now we're headed to kansas city kansas city kansas or missouri whichever one you want sporting kansas city's at home and they play host 
to the Houston Dynamo. And we know these two teams know each other very well over the over the years. Uh, a pretty heated rivalry, but this matchup's an interesting one. Uh, Houston, I thought, showed some good things against the LA Galaxy in their draw in Houston. Uh, and this is a matchup of two coaches from New Jersey. You have Tab Ramos and you have Peter Vermees, obviously former teammates on the U.S. national team, uh, two guys who know each other very well, two former teammates for the Metro Stars, if you want to go way back, uh, go back 20-plus years. Uh, so I, I'd say I like this matchup a lot. Um, Sporting Kansas City obviously looked really good beating Vancouver. In Vancouver, uh, I coming into the year, I said I like saying uh, I like Sporting Kansas City as one of these teams that's going to turn it around. I, I absolutely, obviously, last year was a really bad season for them, but with some of the additions that they that they made to the roster, uh, I really saw them really see them turning it around in that first game. Uh, has shows some pretty good ev- evidence of that potentially being the case. Now, I'm picking uh, Sporting Kansas City to win this one. But this, I think the Dynamo, they're going to give them all they can handle. And the reason I think that is just because what I saw from them against the Galaxy, particularly in the middle the middle of that, that match, like that 45 minutes in the heart of the match, uh, I thought they took it to the Galaxy. I thought they could have definitely taken control of that game and won that game. Uh, but they're still going to be the underdog. They're actually huge underdogs in Kansas City. They're almost 4-1 to one underdogs. They're plus 390, which, again, much like the previous game, I pick. I'm gonna pick Sporting Kansas City to win the game. But if you're looking for a good underdog to kind of put some money on, plus three ninety is 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 a really really juicy line for the Dynamo. For considering what I saw from the Dynamo last week, so if you're looking for that kind of long shot to put some money on and hopefully to cash in, you could go. You could do a lot worse than the Dynamo. But again, I'm picking Sporting Kansas City to win just because I like what I see from them. Obviously, Alan Polito, the addition, uh, having him in the attack. And Kyrie Shelton. Kyrie Shelton coming back. He, he was great for them last week. I like Sporting Kansas City. They should win this game. Now, we have a few matchups that I consider to be mismatches and that should be pretty easy to call. Uh, the first one being Colorado playing host to Orlando City. Uh, and then the Rapids, obviously, to go to D.C., to go across the country and get a road win was huge for Robin Fraser's team. I think they're going to ha- carry the momentum over from that. Coming back home to GSG Park, I think they're going to handle Orlando City. I really didn't see much from Orlando City in their opener against Real Salt Lake. 0-0 draw at home. I just didn't. They just didn't show me much, right? And I and as much as I respect Oscar Pareja as a coach, and I think he's going to turn things around there. Uh, I think they still have so much to work on, uh, and 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 they still need more talent. They as much as they they made quite a few pickups in the offseason, I just don't think they're good enough. And look, Colorado's not a powerhouse, but I think Colorado's an improved team. They're very tough at home, obviously playing at altitude. I like the Rapids in that one. They're the favorites. They should win, but I I, I think they're a safe bet. I think if you're looking for a home team to bet on, they're a pretty comfortable pick for me to win against Orlando City. And then you have the LA Galaxy, who are coming off of that opening 0-0 draw in Houston. Now they're home for their home opener and Chicharito Hernandez's first home match in front of the LA Galaxy fans. And who do they get in their match? They get the Vancouver Whitecaps, a team that looked atrocious in their opener. Their loss to Sporting Kansas City, and that was in Vancouver. Now, if they lay an egg in Vancouver, what do you think they're going to do on the road against the Galaxy? A Galaxy team that obviously uh, knows and believes that they should have done better in Houston. They, it wasn't. It wasn't a, an, a good performance by any means by the by, by the Galaxy. Um, 
they should have done better. And they had their stretches where you saw some glimpses there. Obviously with Christian Pavon with that beautiful goal. But overall, the attack needed to create more. They needed to provide more service for Chicharito. Uh, I thought the defense did look pretty good considering the low bar set for them last year as bad as the Galaxy defense was. The Galaxy defense is going to be better in 2020. No doubt about it. No question about it. But... This uh, this next match against Vancouver, I don't know if the Whitecaps are necessarily going to test this Galaxy defense. I think the Galaxy defense should hold up. I think Chicharito finds the net, and the Galaxy should cruise to a pretty comfortable victory. Up next, we have what very well could be the best match of the weekend, and that's the Seattle Sounders playing host to the Columbus Crew. This is very, this is a, for me a very, very interesting one, right? Because the Sounders uh, they needed a comeback to beat the Chicago Fire last week, and as impressive as it was to see Jordan Morris come off the bench and play Superman, I, I just, I just didn't see enough from the Sounders as a whole. Uh, especially coming off of the disappointment of being eliminated from the CONCACAF Champions League, you expected to see a bit more from them in terms of a 90-minute performance. And the fact that they didn't deliver that starts to raise the questions about whether or not this team has a bit of an MLS Cup hangover. Now, obviously, they're missing some players. They've got some injury issues. Coming into this one, Nicolas Lodero is still sidelined. Uh, and, and now you have Gustav Svensson, who's going to miss this match. So that's two big losses to the Seattle midfield against a very, very tough Columbus crew team that has Darlington Nagby in the midfield, uh, Arthur in the midfield, and Lucas Zelarayan, who was outstanding in his debut. Uh, he is clearly showing himself to be the latest Argentinian impact player for the crew, and he is going to be a handful. And not having Svensson there to help deal with him, I think, leaves, leaves Seattle very vulnerable in this one. And the crew, believe it or not, are a huge underdog. The crew are a plus 390, uh, which is pretty much means they're like almost a four to one underdog uh, to win in Seattle. And I know, look, Seattle's tough. They're very tough at home. Uh, but I tell you what, the crew, they showed, they showed me quite a bit in that first game. Obviously, you, you're playing up a man for most of the match. You kind of should win the game. I get it. But look, NYCFC is a tough team. I just think this crew team, and I said it going into the year, I think that I saw the crew being one of these big turnaround teams. And this is going to be a chance for them to make that real statement. Because if you can go to Seattle and you can get a result uh, and, and start your season having gotten results against two of the top teams in the league now, NYCFC and Seattle, Caleb Porter has to start feeling pretty good about, about where his team is heading. Again, it's easier said than done. You still have the likes of Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan to deal with, Stefan Fry and goal, um, Javier Arriaga in the, at the heart of the central defense for the Sounders. So, they're, look, they're still the champions, right? They're still the champions, but no Ladero, no Svensson. That's a big one for them, and that leaves them a little bit vulnerable against what is a very, very tough Columbus Crew midfield. Moving on to the Sunday schedule, you have the Portland Timbers playing host to Nashville SC. Now, the Timbers, by all accounts, we know they had a stinker in their opener. Their opening loss to Minnesota United. Now, having said that, I still think they're a playoff caliber team. I think they're going to get off the mat and get this win against a Nashville team that, while Nashville did stand up and turn in a pretty admirable opening performance, uh, obviously being at home in front of that size crowd helps give you a boost, right? It helps give you that kind of energy to, to, to put that kind of performance out. But now you have to go to Portland, go to play on a road, a very intimidating place to play. And I know Minnesota just went there and won. I get it. But 
Uh, Nashville's kind of heading into uncharted territories a bit, and they're playing a Portland team that has to be, they have to be desperate. They have to be desperate. You cannot afford to start the season off with two losses at home. You can't do it, and I, I don't think they will do it. I think Portland's attack, as much as Nashville has the pieces in place to have a pretty good defense, I think Portland's attack is going to be able to find its chances and put together the kind of win that you would have expected last week, but I think they'll do it this week. Uh, Portland should prevail against Nashville. And then you have the final match of the weekend in MLS play, LAFC playing host to the Philadelphia Union. Now, under normal circumstances, you say, hey, LAFC is going to win this one walking away. The question is, what lineup changes will Bob Bradley make taking into account the CONCACAF Champions League midweek against Cruz Azul? Is he going to rest the Carlos Vela? Is he going to rest other attackers like, you know, Diego Rossi or or uh, Brian Rodriguez, or will he just go with a full-strength 11 and really just try to blow blow the doors off the union and maybe hopefully pull some players out early in the game with you comfortably ahead? That's probably the ideal scenario, but I think you're going to see some players rested at the very least. We know he, he's he been kind of rotating some midfielders around uh, with Janela in there, and Eduard Atuesta has been in and out uh, of the lineups. He's not You're not going to necessarily have Atuesta uh, start every single match. So for that one, I think it, it doesn't, the thing is they, they're so good, right? They have so much quality on their bench that even if Bradley chooses to rest some of his starters or keep some of his starters fresh for the Cruz Azul match uh, in Congress Champions League, uh, I still think the, the LAFC has too much quality for a union team that I like the union. I think they're a playoff team. Um, but I don't know. I just didn't see enough from them against Dallas in in their opener. Uh, and they're starting to. I, I think there are some questions about that midfield and how that midfield is coming together. Obviously, they let Harris Medunian in leave. He, t- he went to Cincinnati, and you know you're, you're you have Brendan Aronson continuing to try to develop. Now, now he is no longer just a kid playing. Now he has to be an important part of that midfield. He has to be a difference maker in that midfield. And he didn't have uh, much of a game in the in the opener against Dallas. He was very quiet. Uh, so they need him to step up. They, and, and they need that midfield to step up to have any chance against LAFC. I don't see it happening, though. I think LAFC prevails comfortably with or without a full-strength 11. I just think they have that much quality. Now it's time to talk about the U.S. national team. The U.S. men's national team, uh, Greg Berhalter was in New York recently ahead of the start of the MLS season, and, and he obviously was was asked about all the different topics under the sun relating to the national team, and, and, and he did reveal a bit of news, and that is that he is going to call up Gio Reyna for the March friendlies, the Borussia Dortmund uh, youngster who's obviously uh, just become the main storyline in American soccer considering the injuries of some of the other key uh, figures in in the U.S. national team setup, and also because of Reina uh, actually playing in some big matches and playing some important minutes for Borussia Dortmund, he's been uh, he's been a real revelation for them. And even though he's only 17, he's he's just showing that he can handle it, that he can handle that step up, and he's taken full advantage of it. And Greg Berhalter has seen that, and now he is he has already be let it be known that Reina will be a part of the upcoming March friendlies. And uh, before we even get into that, and before we get into uh, Burhalter sharing his thoughts on Reyna, uh, I, I definitely have to talk about the whole uh, like sideshow story angle about Reyna and what country would he play for? Because he's 
he was born in England. He was, for those of you who don't remember, he was born in England. Uh, at, at the time, his father, Claudio, was playing for Sunderland in the Premier League. So that's where that's where Reina's mother was at the time that he was born. So technically speaking, he was born in England. Now, England doesn't have birthright citizenship, so he did, I don't even know if he necessarily would have had the citizenship that he needed to play for England. But that's beside the point. He was never playing for anyone but the United States. His father is Claudio Reyna, former U.S. national team captain, for a multiple-time World, World Cup participant for the U.S. national team. His mother played for the U.S. women's national team. You really believe, that anyone really, really believe that he was going to turn around and go play for England or or play for Portugal or Uruguay or whatever countries that he may have been eligible for or people think he was eligible for? I just don't know how people honestly thought that Reina would play for anyone but the United States. But credit to the kid. He came out recently in the, in the German media and addressed this and said, I only want to play for the United States. And the fact that he even had to say it. <coughs> I think it's pretty hilarious to me because, uh, you know, maybe it's there's just still that trauma uh, of of having seen other players not play for the United States. And, you know, obviously it's pretty funny that uh, Giuseppe Rossi, who recently signed to play in MLS with Real Salt Lake, obviously a famous case, a famous example of, of an American born and raised player who went and played for another country. But but Gio Reyna, really? Like, did really people did re people really have doubts about this? So I, I thought that I mean I I never even like acknowledged the idea of it because I always thought it was pretty absurd. But of course, some people had to jump on it, run with it. Some people felt compelled to to address it and try to use their 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 alleged sources to give them info on it when it was a, never a question. It was never a question he was going to play for the United States. But you know what? Thankfully. Reina addressed it, and he already put that to rest. He's playing for the United States. He's always played for the United States, and he always will play for the United States. And I tell you what, for the and with the talent that he's already showing, U.S. fans should be very, very happy to know that they don't have to worry about his allegiance. And I, I was able to actually grab Greg Berhalter for a minute to ask him about uh, Reina specifically, and and ask him about how he brings him along in the setup. Because obviously, as far as U.S. national team fans are concerned. Uh, you already have fans who say, hey, listen, Reyna needs to be in the starting lineup today, yesterday. Like, if he can play minutes for Dortmund, he should be starting for the United States immediately, even though to this point he hasn't even been part of the U.S. national team setup. So I had to ask him about that and what he thinks about that possibility. And and and, and Berhalter made it pretty clear that he's going to bring him on, bring him along at the pace that he feels is right. What he's doing. Right. Yeah. How do you manage that? You mentioned how Dortmund's bringing him along. Yeah, that, no, that's it. It's also managing that side of it, you know, and not worrying about fan expectations because, you know, you also have a, a young player who, who needs to adapt to the demands of professional soccer. So it's, it's really important to be mindful of that. And, you know, just as much as he's made progress now, he can he can lose time if he gets injured or he, or he um, you know he stops playing. Help you knowing him and the family and having having some kind yeah. of background with yeah, him. Yeah, of course. I mean, it, because you you know you you use common sense and you you know I said before that it's really something where you know it, it's uh, my first instinct is to look after him as a person, you know, because of, of what he, you know what he means to the family. 
And that's something that uh, people should think about when they realize, you know, Gio Reyna being the talent that he is and how important he could be for the U.S. setup. It's it's unique because he actually knows Greg Berhalter well and Greg knows him well. Greg Berhalter and Claudio Reyna are lifelong friends going back to New Jersey, playing high school together. They, you know, you could argue they, they bet they're best friends. They're, they're among each other's best friends. So Berhalter knows Gio Reyna. I've known him since he was a baby. So they have that that uh, unique relationship. Uh, so it's not a, it's not a case of, of Reina needing to get to know Berhalter or that sort of thing. So and also as as Berhalter uh, pointed out, you know he he's going to want to bring him along uh, and not necessarily push him faster than he feels he needs to be pushed. And uh, it it's the same thing that's really going on in Dortmund. I mean, in Dortmund is as as impressive as he's been, and as much as he's he's made the most of minutes that he's getting, he's still being being brought along at a at a good pace. You know, he's getting 10 minutes here, five minutes there. You know, you put him in a cup match. So Dortmund obviously sees the quality that he has, but they also understand that, you know what, it takes some time to for for someone to for a young a player of that age to 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 acclimate and and to get to get used to things and uh, for that reason, it, now, does this mean that Reina, there's no way Reina can come in and play and start right away for the U.S. men's national team? I wouldn't say it's an impossibility, but having said that, I think Berhalter and I think most coaches understand that when it comes to young players, you, you don't want to throw so much at them right away, put so much ex- expectations on them right away. You want to bring them along at a certain pace and, and also let them kind of get used to the whole senior national team thing, right? I mean, to this point, Gio Reyna's U17, U17 is the highest level he's ever played. So to go from U17 player to then expecting him to start as a 17-year-old for the full senior men's national team, it's just rushing it a bit. Now, the talent's there. There's no question. Will he eventually, knock on wood, all goes well, he stays healthy, keeps playing. Will he be a starter and key figure on the U.S. national team? Absolutely. It's coming. It's inevitable because with the talent that he has, I mean, it it's going to happen. But... That does not mean you need to throw him in right away. It doesn't mean you need to make him start from minute one, game one, camp one as an unquestioned starter. Doesn't mean it. Now, could he come in and just uh, just fit in perfectly and just have that maturity to, to just command a position from minute one? Absolutely. It's entirely possible that that could happen. But more often than not, in those cases, you see the young players needing a bit of time and with time and with a few matches and a few camps, eventually they get into into that first team. They get into that starting lineup. So uh, I think people can calm down when it comes to, you know, when he will start. Should he start? Should he not start? Uh, Berhalter knows him pretty well. And I think Berhalter is going to take I think Berhalter is going to make the right decision. I think he knows him better than most. And I think he's going to use that knowledge to his advantage to make sure that he brings him along at the right pace. Berhalter fielded some more questions about Reyna. Uh, speaking to the media in New York recently and 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 addressed how how is it that a player like Reyna, who had his struggles on the U-17 level at the World Cup, can go from that in November to now being part of the U.S. senior national team setup and having the success that he's having right now. Uh, and it's pretty clear, as Berhalter pointed out, that it's just a matter of him getting into a groove at Dortmund. It's just rhythm, right? I mean, if you could imagine the year that Gio had last year, Right, where he's at Dortmund, but he can't play in games because he's not of the age and doesn't have his passport yet. And it was a very um, choppy year for him in terms of his development. 
And I think we saw some of that in the U-17. You know, he didn't, it wasn't, you can tell he didn't have rhythm. So he went to preseason with Dortmund. And, um, you know, he continued to play. He's playing games with U-19. He's training with the first team sometimes, you know, and, and kept increasing his performance there. And then, and then um, got an opportunity with the first team, went to preseason. And you can see he has rhythm now. And he has a good understanding of what the team wants to do. And they're using him in a, in a way where, you know, they're, they're not asking him to take full responsibility in terms of, like, he doesn't have to carry a team. He's playing a role. And he's executing his role. What I really like from him, I talked about this, is, was, you know, his his position when he gets the ball in the pocket, his his awareness to turn, and his efficiency in when he's turning is excellent. Doesn't waste any touches turning. He turns right away. Second thing is his his um, ball secured under pressure is is phenomenal. And um, you know, there was a play against PSG where, where I mentioned he got the ball on the sideline, and. You know, Munir and um, and I, f- I forgot who the other player tried to close him down, and he just turns and, and gets out of pressure. Munir got a, a, a second yellow card or a yellow card, and but he just did it with with, with so much um, awareness that that it was really impressive. So it's been nice to see um, how they've been utilizing him. It's nice to see their group. You know, they have Holland now who's out and who's tearing it up, and it's really good to see them embracing younger players and giving younger players an opportunity. Where do you see him fitting? Again, you know, I, I think it, I can see him playing as a winger. I can see him playing, uh, you know, potentially a number ten in a four-three-three. I can, you know, he can play a, a number of different positions. Um, I, I like him being able to affect the game on the offensive side. You know, similar to Christian, um, they've been using him, him on the left. Now, another player I was able to ask Greg Berhalter about was Timmy Chandler, and of course the Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, winger slash fullback is is, is enjoying a, an excellent run of form, starting regularly for Eintracht Frankfurt. Now he has not been part of the U.S. men's national team setup since 2016. Actually, his last camp was Jurgen Klinsmann's last camp as coach, and obviously injuries have played a big part of that as well. But with the form that he's in now, you have to think that he has a pretty good chance of getting called in. Now I I asked Berhalter about him, and and he made it clear that that Chandler is on his radar. Tim Chandler. Yeah. Tearing it up. Yeah. Is he on your radar? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. There could be an opportunity for him in March. Yeah, definitely. There seems to be this kind of stigma. Jeff, are you joining us? He wasn't that committed when he was with the team. Jurgen kind of alluded to that. I don't know anything about that. You know, all I know is that, you know, what I'd say is we've had a ton of depth in the in the right back position, and he's been injured for a long time. Now he's back, he's playing, he's performing at a high level, and that's great for us. Now, does that sound like a coach who's going to call Tim Chandler in for the March friendlies? I don't know. I don't know if it's a, a rock-solid uh, vote of confidence from Berhalter. I mean, it's pretty clear he he's he knows that he's playing at a high level. Uh, and he knows that when it comes down to it, the U.S. doesn't have that many field players or that many players in general who are starting and playing regularly in one of the top leagues in Europe. There's only a, hum- a couple of those now. So... Uh, from that standpoint, Chandler absolutely should be part of the March Friendlies. If he's not, Berhalter is going to have some, some something to answer for because when you look at the other players in the pool, uh, you kind of ask yourself how a player as versatile as Chandler wouldn't be called in, especially when you consider the fact that Reggie Cannon is slated to be part of the Olympic qualifying team 
And DeAndre Yedlin has not played for Newcastle in a month. So when you look at the right-back options, obviously Serginho Dest can be your starting right-back. Although you look at the left-back options, you have to you, you like to think that Serginho Dest is probably better suited or the U.S. would be better off with him playing at left-back and having someone like Chandler at right-back. But again, that's what the March friendlies are for. And you'd like to think that hopefully Chandler will have his opportunity to be part of the squad and have, an, have a chance to stake his claim for a place in Burhalter's setup. And now another issue that Burhalter addressed when speaking to the media recently was the rash of injuries that the U.S. player pool is dealing with right now, particularly many of the young standouts in the group. You talk about Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, Timothy Weah, who've all had injury issues that have dragged on. And, and for some of them, they've missed months and months of action. And now with Tim Weah, who missed the first half of the season and now is ready to miss the second half of the season in France. It's a frustrating situation, but Berhalter tried to put it into perspective as, as he deals with the fact that, you know what, he, he himself is going to probably have to be without some top, top young talent for some important matches the rest of this year. Anytime you have younger players, um, you know, playing at high levels, you have to be very careful with their load. And it, it's it's very important, you know. Tyler Adams' case, um, he went from from playing the whole season at Red Bull to then going to Leipzig and then playing the whole half a year there. And he had basically a year and a half without rest, adapting to a higher level, and, and a very aggressive um, playing style. And you know that could take a toll on a young player's body. And you know you're seeing some of the effects, or you saw some of the effects of that with his longer term layoff. And with him, now the the way I see it is now his. He's got back to playing, and until your body hardens and strengthens, you, you may have some, some difficulties. I think that's a normal process. You know, Tim, it's a really unfortunate, you know, series of events where you have a very high-speed athlete, hot, fast athlete, that they're susceptible to hamstring injuries. And when he got this bad hand, hamstring injury and he re-injured it, and it, you know, it may be another lengthy layoff, and it, it's really a shame. It's really too bad, but... You know, when you have younger players playing at a high level, there is a risk for injury, and we have to be careful. We have to be monitoring. We have to be working with the clubs to, to help prevent some of that. That is all for this episode of the SBI Show. Uh, I, I tried to touch on a few different topics here. Uh, definitely my apologies for not having two episodes this week. Uh, I would definitely have preferred to, to, to spread some of this out. Uh, in an earlier episode during the week so we could address week one of MLS and then move into week two. Kind of had to cram a bunch of it together because of everything that went down with this week and with me being sidelined. But I'm back and hopefully we can get back into a normal routine starting next week with uh, two episodes a week. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, And definitely let me know what you think of this episode. Obviously, things will get better. It will get on a good rhythm, a good a good routine. Uh, I'm definitely rusty. I'm I'm definitely in preseason, still in preseason form, much like some of the teams in MLS that that had the poor results in week one. You can cap. You can put me in that category for now. But I'll keep working on it. Keep trying to get better. Uh, we'll have more interviews. We'll have more topics to discuss. And obviously, as we get later into March, we're going to have everything from uh, Olympic qualifying to talk about uh, to the March friendlies, the U.S. men's national team friendlies. And then we'll obviously have CONCACAF Champions League to talk about as we get on later into the month. Uh, I was actually I was scheduled to go to Miami for Inter-Miami's first home game. That was the plan for next week. Although at this point, I think I'm going to have to cancel that uh, with everything going on with the 
coronavirus uh, epidemic going on. And obviously travel, uh, people are having to cancel travel all over the place. And, and you know, I have to consider that myself. So as things stand right now, I'm more than likely going to cancel that trip. Uh, but I will continue to, to, to bring you everything uh, from the U.S. men's national team setup and obviously from MLS. Um, I don't know what my next trip will be, although I am going to Washington for D.C. United Inter Miami in a few hours, actually, as I record this. Uh, I'm probably going to get three hours of sleep before I head down there. Um, but then from there, it's a matter of, of trying to just keep track of everything as we all deal with this uh, coronavirus epidemic. And uh, you have so much going on. You could potentially have MLS matches played in front of uh, with no no fans in attendance. And uh, obviously, we are already seeing that in Italy uh, with the Serie A matches that will be played behind closed doors you could eventually start to see those kind of decisions made you're seeing big events canceled south by southwest was recently canceled um it's just a crazy time and a scary time and and definitely everyone out there make sure that 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 you stay healthy and and that you take precautions and you know the the coronavirus is a serious thing and uh you know i'll say myself i you know i went to new york to on friday i was in new york city that's where i had my surgery and um, you know, uh, on the way back, taking the subway and taking bus, the bus, and you're kind of looking around like, what is going on? Like, this is a little crazy. Like, you, you, you know, everyone's on edge right now as we as we start to try to deal with this. And uh, you know, hopefully we can we can come 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 out of this and, and get this resolved and get get it taken care of. But uh, let's keep let's keep trying to have some fun. Let's try to enjoy the soccer while we can. And uh, there's going to be plenty to talk about in the coming days and weeks and months. So. Uh, Stay tuned to the SBI show as I continue to bring you everything in the world of American soccer. We'll be back on Monday and Tuesday to talk about the weekend's results. But that's all for now. Thank you for listening once again. I'm Ivis Kolarsa. This is the SBI show. Mm-hmm.